Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. So, Father, I just give myself to the Spirit of the Lord, and I ask that today, O oh God, that you would guide me in every thought and in every word. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to live for you in such a day as this. We believe that you called us. The day of our birth and the day of our departure is in your hands. And so, Father, the one who calls is the one who equips. I pray, Lord God, that we would be, be found faithful, Lord, as a church. I pray that I would be found faithful as the pastor. And I pray, Lord God, that together we would fulfill your plan. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at the book of Revelation. And as we're looking at the book of Revelation, we're realizing that um, looking at particularly what I felt the Spirit of God calling me to was a share about the churches that were addressed by the Apostle John. As we're looking at these churches, here's what we realize. That just because we're a church doesn't mean that everything is guaranteed. But it's incumbent upon our obedience. God will bless our obedience. And if we don't obey, we can't expect a blessing. I carry that as well as the pastor of this church. So much talk about mandates lately, and I feel like I'm under a mandate from the Lord. And what he asks from us is obedience. Up until the coming of Jesus Christ. There had been 400 years without a prophetic voice. And because there was no prophet in the nation of Israel, people built a theology around that. Well, God hasn't spoken for 400 years, so he mustn't be doing that anymore. So that became the theology. But then understand this. The leaders who embraced that idea and taught that idea had placed all their, they, they staked everything in that idea. God's not speaking prophetically. And because they didn't believe in the voice of God or the activity of God, they found themselves missing God. And that's my concern today. I do not want to miss God. In all of that, I've realized that over the last year, over the last two years, as soon as the pandemic hit, I felt the Spirit of God speak to my heart and say, this thing is going to be way bigger than you could ever imagine. And it has ended up being that for me personally, I realize that. But we have to understand something. We have to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. This is a day when you have to have ears to hear what God is saying. You have to be able to discern. You cannot walk through this time unless you have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. So what happened is after 400 silent years, suddenly John the Baptist breaks out on the scene as a prophet calling people to repentance. A prophet doesn't just predict the future. He can also come and to prepare the way of the Lord. And that's what John the Baptist did. Then following up, he said that there's someone who's coming after him. I'm not worthy to loose his sandals. And he's referring it to Jesus, the Messiah. So suddenly, one prophet predicted the coming of another prophet. And then to make matters worse, to screw up the theology of those who had established that God's not speaking anymore, suddenly the spirit of prophecy was released upon the church and the spirit of the Lord fell upon the New Testament church at Pentecost that began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And you find out that pattern was happening throughout the entire book of Acts. The spirit of God released the prophetic. Now here's what we need to understand. That in Revelation it says in chapter 19 verse 10 that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here's what we need to know. The prophetic gift is despised in this world. But it's also despised by religious systems, and it can even be despised by Christians. That's why the Bible says, do not despise prophesying. Now listen, someone can speak prophetically, and it's off track or whatever it might be, but we realize that that is not a license to despise the activity of God and of his voice in every generation. 
Cornerstone Christian Center needs to understand that God is releasing a prophetic voice through our church. And it is the testimony of Jesus. Every time you share the testimony of Jesus, you are standing in a position where you are prophesying and saying, essentially, Jesus is active today. Jesus is alive and well upon the earth. So the spirit of prophecy is so important because it is the spirit of Jesus Christ. And churches, I believe that churches who are denying the reality of the activity of God and saying God doesn't do miracles anymore, God doesn't heal anymore, oh, maybe there's... There's places where he can do that, but they don't believe in the activity of the Spirit of God as revealed according to the Scriptures and as revealed and released as in the narrative of the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends abruptly, doesn't even wrap things up. Why? Because the book of the Acts of the church are still to be operating today. And so... The world hates the spirit of prophecy. But here's another thing, too. If you stand for Jesus Christ and you believe in Jesus Christ, the spirit of this world will despise you. Where we're at, it has always been, and we can look at this later if we have enough time, even John, who wrote the book of Revelation, said in his epistle that 2,000 years ago, he said the spirit spirit of Antichrist is already here. The Antichrist is among us. The Antichrist, the anti-prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit, which helping you to understand, basically the prophetic voice is this. God has a word today and we are meant to fulfill it. And if we disobey what the Lord has laid upon our hearts, it's a direct disobedience, not only to the prophetic, but also to Jesus Christ himself. To embrace the prophetic is to do this, is to believe that God is still relevant, that Jesus is still real, Jesus is still calling, Jesus is still mandating, Jesus is still speaking to the church concerning what's happening in each age of the church. To reject the prophetic is to be robbed of discernment, And it's to begin to enter into the status quo. So many churches, and let me speak particularly to America because that's within our purview, are operating in status quo. They don't want to upset the apple cart. And it's really because they're not hearing from the Spirit of God. So in order to understand the prophetic, we have to understand who Jesus is since the prophetic is actually the testimony of Jesus. When we read these, starting in chapter 2, John, by the revelation of the Lord, receives the vision and the word of God for seven churches that were in the western end of Asia. These seven churches are commended and they're also rebuked. Because I live with an understanding today that the Lord would come and he would honor first the places where we are strong and we can rejoice in that. But it's not just enough to be strong in certain areas, but then to be lax in others. God would call us to excellence, to that place where we can receive the fullness of the Spirit of God. As he's addressing these seven churches Understanding that the book of Revelation is also a book that is revealing the the future, these seven churches, in the order in which they're addressed, we find out that looking over the last 2,000 years of church history, that these churches reveal what the first time and season of the church will look like, and the second, and the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, and then finally the seventh church, which will be the church coming in existence right before the coming of the Lord. So let's pause for just a moment and understand this. That obedience to the Lord is our highest calling. And the revelation of Jesus out of that obedience is like a lamp stand in this church. When the pandemic first hit, the Lord said to me through Jeremiah chapter 25, 
He said, I will silence your peaceful fold. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me and says, if you just try to play. And listen, this was before I had no idea what was going to happen. The Lord said, if you're silent, I will, it will be me. But if you will obey me, I will lift up your voice. My greatest concern as a pastor of this church is that if we don't live boldly and confidently and obedient before the Lord, the Lord is not interested in propping up a dead system. He's not interested in churches that don't have a lampstand that are shining brightly. We are meant to pierce the darkness because we represent Jesus Christ. Jesus, the one who at any cost obeyed the Father. Jesus, who turned the world upside down. And his followers, the disciples, were accused of the same thing. We were not called to have a truce with the world. We were placed here to follow Jesus. And it says concerning him, he destroyed the works of the devil. It's a calling and a mandate that's been placed upon us that overrides any other mandate that's been released. It's a call to obedience. I would do you the greatest disservice and sometimes, you know, we've had a huge impact on our school because of the stand that we've taken. We've lost over 50% of our student body, but the truth is this. I would rather model and demonstrate an example of obedience to God at any cost than to prop up a system without a lampstand. I would hate to pass upon the children that we have been given the stewardship over a faith that is not brilliant, that is not bright, that will not stand for what our convictions are. And in all of that, my concern is that God would silence our church, God would silence our school, and God would remove the lampstand of the light that he has given to our church. Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And just going through this quickly, we can't do a word-for-word -word study at this point. But it reveals who Jesus is. He's the one who is and who was and who is to come. Jesus is saying there is the one who was. And what does that mean? Well, John, the same writer, said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. It tells us this by John, who wrote the book of Revelation, that Jesus was the third person of the Trinity, and we need to understand through the third person of the Trinity, Everything that has been made was made through him. Now I know that the three are one, but we have to know that the one who died upon the cross for our sins was the one who made the stars, who made the heavens and who made the earth, who created all living beings and created all of humanity. He is the one who was and he is the one who is. He is the one who is. He is alive, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is alive today, and he's as alive for Cornerstone Christian Center as he was alive in the book of Acts. And for us to tolerate anything less than that is unacceptable because he is the one who is, and he does not change. And he also is the one who is to come. So we live in the blessed hope. That means anything can be on the table. Anything can be sacrificed. Anything can be on the altar. Anything for the cause of Jesus because he is coming back and he's going to reward every act of obedience. And he's going to give crowns to those, the crown of life, to those who obey. He is and who was and is to come Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I like that phrase right there. Jesus is called the faithful witness. What is a faithful witness? It was a prophet. Jesus stood in the office of a prophet. He released the word of God upon the earth. I think that we can often forget how much of our worldview and our understanding of morality and obedience is based upon the words of Jesus Christ. He was our prophet, but even more than that, it says in that verse that he was the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? 
That means that Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross for our sins, and he's the firstborn. He was the first one to conquer death. You say, oh, wait, Lazarus died, and he was resurrected, but he didn't conquer death. He died again. But Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, and is now the one who's presented his blood before the very throne of God to prove that you and I have been forgiven. The firstborn of the dead, he was a prophet, a faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And what does that mean? He was a priest, and then it says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Jesus, the prophet, the priest, and the king. But John didn't leave it just there, and this is going to be important towards later. He goes on to say this, he made us into a kingdom, priest to his God. And Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Here is John the Apostle standing as a prophet and speaking about the future and what God was going to do upon the earth, speaking that, that Jesus Christ is coming again. He stood as a prophet, but then he also says we were given a kingdom because God called us to, be, to rule and reign with Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, but do you realize that everything in Jesus inherited is ours? The authority of the kingdom of God, so that you and I can be as presumptuous as to pray, kingdom of God, come, and will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer of royalty. We are prophets, we are priests, and then we are also that we are kings. We are priests as well because he said that we have been, we are priests to his God and Father. You and I cannot make anyone right with God, but we can lead people before the Lord. And we can be those who enter into the holiest place of all, like the priest did. It says this, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty God. I love that John here begins to speak. I love it because it's a personal favorite. It was a faith-saving scripture for me in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, where it describes that the Jewish people We'll see the coming of the Messiah. But how will the Messiah come? You say, yes, the Jews have always been ready to receive the Messiah. But Zechariah chapter 12 says this, that when they see him, they will look upon him who was pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. When the Jews see Jesus, they're going to realize two things. He had been here before and he had been pierced. And then when they see him coming in the fulfillment of the promises of God, they will mourn and they will begin to realize we missed him at his first coming. John goes there and says the nations will mourn. Here's why you and I don't need to be afraid of kings, of governors, of county commissioners, of mayors. We don't need to be afraid. Listen, we need to walk humbly. We need to be respectful. We need to honor and obey where we can. But when all is said and done, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He presides over every president. He rules over every king. He lords over every lord that's placed upon the earth. A church that realizes who they are and walks fearlessly before the Lord will be a church that will be bright in the eyes of the Lord. John said he came and he received the revelation of the Lord. What is the word revelation? It is the Greek word that we use. It was apocalypsis. It means revelation. It means to lay bare. It means to open. It means to reveal everything. John said, I received the revelation of God, the future. God unwrapped all of it for me. But out of that word apocalypsis, which is the word that John describes, a great and terrifying day of the Lord that's coming upon the earth, we have adopted that word to say this was an apocalypse, even though apocalypse text technically means revelation. <clears throat> we use it now that there is, when something's an apocalypse, it means that all of the established order has been torn down and devastated. And John received the revelation, and here's what he said in Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20. I, John, your brother, 
and fellow participant in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance of Jesus. Do you see what he's writing to? He's writing to the churches. He's writing to them to let them know, I'm going through all the same trouble that you're going through. Jesus said, all who would live godly will suffer persecution. John lived for the Lord. He lived for the message. He lived for the kingdom, and he persevered. And because of that, he was in tribulation, as well as all these churches. And he said, I was on an island called Patmos, which was 30 miles offshore near Ephesus. He was on the isle called Patmos. It was a, a prison island, a prison camp. And he says, I was there because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. So there's a little bit of a debate about the Lord's day, but a lot of people agree that it's actually the word to describe the, res the day of the week where we remember the resurrection, the first day of the week. He says that in that place that he entered into the spirit on the Lord's day. John the Apostle realized that as a follower of Christ, he has access to God the Father. He spent some time in a prison. Maybe he was able to have access to some kind of roof or some kind of hill. I mean, it was a, it was a prison island, 35 miles in circumference. And there he found himself just entering where the Lord says, don't be drunk with wine, but keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. John was a man who believed in the prophetic voice that if a man were to get with God, he can hear the Lord's will. So John had an appointment with God, just set it up. And in that place, he stepped over into a place of revelation. He was in the spirit. He heard a loud voice, and it sounded like a trumpet. And it said, write on a scroll what, what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And after turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. Each one of these seven churches had a lampstand. I believe that every church has a lampstand. Now, some translations say candlesticks, but candlesticks glow. A lampstand doesn't glow. A lampstand is where the people come and bring their lamps. And God has said to each and every church, to Cornerstone Christian Center, you have a lampstand, but you are the source of light. To be the light of the world, as Jesus is shining through you, who is the light of the world. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. In other words, he saw a great being. He said he was like a son of man. We find out the same word is used in Philippians, that he, became, he was like a man. How is he like a man, the third person of the Trinity? We know that Jesus right now is like a man, but he never laid down his deity and his obedience to God the Father. He always remained divine. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That gave him his deity. Mary gave to him his body, the humanity, and Jesus today is in heaven like a man. In other words, if you look at him, he's not a cube, he's not a tube, he's not I'm just naming different shapes. You look at him, and he's like a man with a head, with eyes, a mouth. He has a torso. He has, this describes him as having feet, and he has hands. And we find out that in the scripture, it begins to describe him. We'll go through that quickly. He's dressed in a robe like the dressing of a priest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. What does that mean? It's just a reflection of the prophecies in the Old Testament that spoke of the vision of God being like the ancient of days. When Jesus is existing right now in heaven, his hair being white, it just shows his wisdom, what he's earned. 
Nothing can be taken from him. It shows authority. His eyes were like a flaming fire. Yes, on the earth, to look in his eyes was to look into human eyes. But in heaven, John saw the eyes were on fire. Those eyes that when he walked the earth could look at a woman and describe to her her life. They were eyes on fire, but nothing like the eyes of fire right now. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been heated to a glow in a furnace. Those same sandaled feet that walked the earth now show the strength of bronze. It shows authority, unmovableness. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. So if you and I can picture that, in his hand was the seven stars. And on top of that, his countenance shone. It reminds us of when he was transfigured in his light. His face shone with the glory of the kingdom of God. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And Paul uses the two-edged sword as a symbol of the word of God. But I actually think it's more that Old Testament fulfillment of the of the judgment of the Lord the sword that proceeds out of the mouth of God in Jeremiah chapter 25 when I told you that the Lord spoke to me and says I will silence your peaceful folds at the very same time in that passage the Lord said I have from a remote part of the earth I have raised up a sword against the nations I will strike the nations with the sword but I will shout against my shepherds and against my sheepfolds, and I felt like the Lord has spoken to my heart. If this is not that day, this is a day like unto that. The nations have been struck with a sword. That is the, that, that is the sword of Jesus that is going to wrap things up. But then that the Lord would shout against his shepherds. I've got to be honest with you. I walk constantly in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of a lack of confidence in our relationship. But I feel like this is a day that if we're not circumspect, if we're not intentional, if we're not obedient, God will shout against the pastors. And he'll shout against congregations. Because this is a day to not be quiet. The Lord says, therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand in the seven golden lampstand, the seven stars are the angels. Now let me explain that to you. That's the word for angels is angelos. That's been used for men before as well. I believe that the correct translation is the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the messengers of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The reason why I believe that is because later on it talks about those who were the angelos or the messengers of the Lord, that some of them didn't allow themselves to be corrupted. There is a possibility for pastors to be corrupted. Now, when it talks about the messenger or the leaders of these seven churches, I, I, I want you to know that when we talk about them being stars in the context of America, we're not stars like on the sidewalk of Hollywood. But stars are meant to be, they were a source to be a guiding light by which the ship could follow. And we realize here that the Lord is just saying to you, every pastor of each and every one of these churches, every one of you that's involved in leadership, every one of you that's steering the ship, you have to understand this, that you're in the hands of God. Now that's, wonderful news but it's also can be a terrifying thing because the Lord is just saying this pastors whatever you do you have to understand if you obey me you're in my hand no one can rip you out of my hand I'm your provider I'm your protector and I am with you you are safe and secure in the hands of God but he's also saying this but if you disobey me, you have to understand this. You're in the hands of God. And the way you say that can make all the difference in the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we're in the hands of God, that's why I think when I preach this sermon today, I'm not naming any particular pastor. And it's not our business to name any pastors or any churches. Unless, 
unless they are so far out in their message on who Christ is. It's just not my business. Other pastors aren't in my hand, they're in the Lord's hand. And the Lord says when we correct someone, a servant of the Lord, the Lord doesn't appreciate it because they're not our servants, they're the Lord's servants. I'm not speaking to anybody directly, I'm speaking to myself. And by speaking to myself, if it challenges anybody today, I'll accept that. But in all of this, we know that every man is in the Lord's hands that is called to be a messenger in the church. The man who carries the message has to be careful. And then it says the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, here's what we need to understand. If the messenger of the church, the pastor, is one of the stars meant to guide, which I think also, not to get into the weeds, but people try to follow stars to find direction, and, and really direction is meant to come from the Lord. But here's the thing, is that he says the body, the church, is a lampstand. And the effectiveness of the lampstand is only by the effectiveness of every lamp placed upon the lampstand. And Jesus warned about this because he says when he comes, there will be some whose lamps are full of oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, and the wicks are trimmed. In other words, everything dark has been cut away for the sake of the light shining through them, removing everything superficial, unusable, is cut away so that we can be bright. Now, here's what I want us to understand. The Lord, when the Lord said to me, I will silence your peaceful folds, I believe it's the same thing as saying, I will remove your lampstand. In other words, both of those are a symbol of this. I will no longer prop up ineffectiveness. I'll not prop up the status quo. I won't, I won't have it anymore. There is, there is, in every generation of the church, there is a responsibility to hear the voice of God and then to obey it. And if we don't obey it, the Lord warns us, I'll come right in and I'll take your lampstand. And here's, here's the whole thing, is that you can remove the, a lampstand from the house and the house can still stand and the people can still go there. And they don't even realize that the lampstand is missing. And so I, I don't want to miss the Lord. In chapter 2 of Revelation, then the first church that he addresses is the church in Ephesus. And here's what he says. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden candlesticks, I'm sorry, golden lampstands, says this. I know your deeds and your labor and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil people. And you have put those who call themselves apostles to the test, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured on account of my name and have not become weary. That's all wonderful. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. If I could pause for just a moment, let's just realize the brilliance of the light emanating from the lampstand of the church directly correlates to the people's love for God. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now this might be a little bit outside of the direction that it's going, but the Bible is saying this. Ephesus, 
you better have ears to hear what's going on. And if ever we lived in a day where you have to have good ears, it's today. You've got to hear. The only thing it takes to be willing to hear is to take all of your understanding, submit it on the altar of humility, let every paradigm, earthly paradigm, I'm not talking about the things we've learned of the Spirit of God and the Word of God and of Jesus, but put every paradigm, every government, every human interaction, every institution, every source of information, let it be on the altar and let God build it from ground zero. Because what's happening in the world right now is people are trusting their institutions that they've always trusted and they're not knowing where to find truth. The Lord says we have to have ears to hear. And he told Ephesus, you better have ears. And he'll tell the other churches that. So let's think about the church at Ephesus. John the Apostle was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Paul was the one who went there and opened up the doors for the gospel to penetrate that city. From there, John the Apostle had been arrested, taken to the Isle of Patmos where he was banished. The Apostle Paul, when he first ministered in Ephesus, warned them. And he warned them that the problem is going to come from among them. Now, here's what I think that we need to understand. As a church, for ourselves, and as a church in relationship to the nation, the problem with our nation and the problem in the church is not going to come from the outside. It'll come from within our own ranks. The source of the issue of the problems in our nation is rooted in the condition of the church. And before the Apostle Paul left Ephesus, he said this in Acts 20, verse 22. Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that chains and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of God's grace. Now, help me, let me help you to understand here that the church of Ephesus was established by a man, the Apostle Paul, and by an example of that leadership that came from him that he said, I'm going to be imprisoned and beat up for the rest of my life, basically, but I want you to know that I don't count any sacrifice too great in order to serve Jesus. Do you remember the church of Ephesus was challenged? Get back to your first deeds. Get back to that first example. Get back to where you say everything is on the altar. So here's what he said. I know that after my departure, savage wolves, savage wolves, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. They were birthed in the miraculous. They were birthed in the power of God. They were birthed in sacrifice. They were birthed in tribulation. They were birthed in losing all to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But the price that was paid at the birthing of the church in Ephesus, the price was not as high anymore. Love has increased in the fire of persecution. And Jesus, speaking to the church at Ephesus, said, you've hated these evil wolves that have come in among you, and they've taught you Nicolaitism. You didn't tolerate the Nicolaitans. What is a Nicolaitan? It comes from two Greek words. Nico means to conquer or to overthrow, and laetin comes from the word laos, means the people, the laity. This is a group of people that were overthrowing the laity. Now listen, if you're around church world for very long, they talk about the laity, and who is the laity in church world when they talk about that? It's about the congregation. These were people who wanted to overthrow the power of the people within the church. It was a desire to conquer them, 
The Lord is saying this. You didn't tolerate the pastors that came with a controlling spirit. But he tells them that they, are, they had no tolerance for such evil ideas. We had read in First Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, how Jesus is a prophet and a priest and a king. And Jesus came to give that place to you as well. Nicolaitanism ended up being this power structure within the church where the leaders established notoriety and fame and wealth for themselves and they lorded it over the people and the people felt dependent upon their pastors to be connected to God and out of that came the idea of the establishment of a caste system, a layered approach to those who could really be in touch with God and those who couldn't. A denial of the prophetic, a denial of the spiritual gift that you can discern what Christ is saying. And so what they did, they established leaders. They turned their pastors into priests. And no man is meant to be a priest in your life except the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they established for themselves people who were better connected. They would tell you how to repent repent, or what you needed to do to get right with Jesus. You had secondhand contact and information from the Lord. Then they established the idea of a, that calling some, and it's a biblical word, bishops, but then it carried a greater weight. And then they had archbishops. And then it even got up to the part where they had a pope which is not found in the scriptures, and yet we find in all of this, this establishment of hierarchy. And then even the idea of saints, as if there are some who have established their own good works to the point where they've got more than they need. Listen, it's not what Christ ever intended. He never wanted there to be a, a status structure within the church. You have direct access to the Lord. These Nicolaitans, the Lord called them wolves. Why were they wolves? Well, if you look a little bit further in Revelation chapter 2, we find that Nicolaitism was also active in the church of Pergamum, and they had to fight it. And it says this about that church. It says that they did not, that, that Nicolaitism was related to Balaam. Now, who is Balaam? Now, if we look at who Balaam is, the Lord is warning the spirit that controlled Balaam, a prophet of God, ended up being a spirit that could influence a church. Here's who Balaam was. Balaam was a prophet of God, and he heard the voice of the Lord. But there was a king, a king of the Moabites, and his name was Balak, and I know that they sound very similar. But Balaam the prophet was solicited by Balak, the king of the Moabites, to curse the nation of Israel. On three attempts where Balak tried him to get the curse the nation of Israel, Balaam said, I can only speak the word of the Lord. And every time Balaam went to the Lord, the Lord said, no, I will bless Israel, essentially. And the reason why the Lord blessed Israel, because at that place where they were at, there was not a lifestyle or a disobedience that warranted being cursed. So Balaam had a problem, though, kind of like Judas Iscariot. Called to be an apostle, Balaam called to be a prophet, but both of them loved money. And because they loved money, it ended up being their demise. Balaam, what did he do? He couldn't curse the nation of Israel. But then he had a little strategy meeting with Balak, the king of the Moabites, and he let him know I can't curse them because they don't deserve to be cursed. But then he had Balak, the king of the Moabites, tempt the Israelites to come into a relationship with the women who had no regard for God and they married outside of the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel. And those women introduced all this idolatry into their homes. Not only did they marry, but I mean they actually engaged in immoral behavior. And here's what the Lord's saying here. Is that as you're looking at this passage here, that the Lord is saying you didn't tolerate within your church the people who had established a system and built up a notoriety and fame and a wealth to the point where they were no longer willing to sacrifice what they had built 
for the sake of obedience. And I believe that the problem with the American church today is that we have so established ourselves in our buildings, our lands, our notoriety, and all those things. We've entered in, it's possible for us to have entered into a spirit of Balaam and possessions and peace and not rocking the boat are more important than hearing the prophetic voice of God and walking in obedience. It happened to them. Immorality had come in. Listen, we, we just say, America is so immoral, but immorality is in the church. The reason why America is immoral is because the church has been silent. As I have said before, when I receive emails from the county, they come with a transgender agenda from the health department. Moving forward in compassion towards all mankind and the human struggle to try to figure out life, that's one thing, but it's another thing to actually disciple little children in transgenderism. And the Lord would have us know, where's the church? Where's the church when the drift happened in our nation? Here's what the Lord says, and I have to wrap up. You cannot tolerate the evil in your day, and God will commend that. But he says this, but the root of your problem is that you've lost first love. Jesus warned that before he comes, the love of many will grow cold. And he says, remember your first deeds. The brightness of Cornerstone Christian Center, think about this. A star won't light up your living room but a lampstand will. A, a star can guide, but it can't provide sufficient light. And so I would just say to all of us, a reminder, it's incumbent upon me to make sure that the Lord doesn't remove our lampstand. It's incumbent upon the congregation that each individual would make sure that they haven't lost their first love that overwhelming sense of awareness of God, of passion for him, of just that, that prayer, that wanting to hear from the word, that the first deeds where everything was on the altar. John, the same writer, said, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If the love... If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. In America, we have so much stuff from the world that's been provided. But I would challenge myself and all of us today. Do we own the things that we own or do those things own us? Jesus says you couldn't serve God and mammon. Pastors can't serve God and mammon. The Lord said, I'll remove your lampstand unless you repent. Or else I am coming to you. No, but, but, but you have this, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But a reminder today, it's not enough to hate evil. We must love the Lord first. It's really tempting right now, isn't it, to hate to hate the evil, but you know that old saying, that you don't change the world by just cursing the darkness, right? You gotta release the light of God, light of Christ. So it's a challenge to me and a challenge to all of us as a church. It's not enough to take on the powers that be. Each one of us carries a responsibility
to love Christ first more than everything else. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The Lord Jesus would just say to us, you know, if we focus on the darkness and curse the darkness, we will, in that place, become dark ourselves. Jesus says you have to keep your eye healthy. If you just keep on looking at the problems of the world, you will become like the world. If you look at their anger, you'll become angry. If you look at their manipulation, you'll become manipulative. If you, you look at um, their control issues, you'll become controlling to respond to that spirit. And the Lord would say to us, keep your eyes on Christ. Repent, the Lord says. Turn, 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 turn from the things of this world that rob you of your brilliance and overcome, overcome, overcome in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord said, if, if you do that, I will grant to eat, I will grant to you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, with all of that, it, he calls us to remember Adam, who was in a perfect state at the beginning carried the glory of God. God had provided him for a tree of life, but he wanted to eat the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to taste a little bit the other side. And he ate of it, and what happened? Because he ate of the knowledge of the good and evil and didn't sustain with the tree of life, he was cast out of the paradise of God. The reminder in the scripture is this, is that Adam had a purpose, he had a ministry, he had a calling. He had a destiny. He lived in paradise. He lived in the glory of the Lord. He was covered and dressed in the glory of the Lord. But in a perfect state, even in a perfect state, because he disobeyed, he lost paradise. And so the Lord is just saying this, churches, I'm just speaking to you. If you will repent and turn from the world, I will give to you the restoration of all those things that Christ has died and paid for. Adam was perfect, but he could still lose everything. And it's kind of a warning to the church. You could be saved and we, we can have, you know, things like someone coming to Christ every week or these kind of things, but the Lord would say this, but... When the tree of life is offered to us, but we mix it up like Nicolaitans where we love the things of the world, we let the idolatry of the world to come in, and we allow the influences of the world to rob us of the glory of God and our light, then the Lord is saying, even though we were created in Christ in perfection, we can lose purpose and destiny to disobedience. So the Lord would just call us all back. It's unfortunate I'm speaking this summer from a stage two higher, two feet higher from where you're sitting because I'm not speaking down at anybody. It's a call to all of us. Let's, let's go for God. Let's obey him in every way. And the Lord will honor it. Well, what happened in the first 70 to 170, this first church in that window of church history. Men established their own credibility. The apostle Paul saw it. He says, I come in, I sacrifice everything. I get your city saved. And then other pastors come in. They exalt themselves. They trash the apostle Paul. And this whole system of clergy and laity, pastors and people, priests and regular people, all of that was established in the church and God wants you to rise up in who you are in Christ. You are a prophet and a priest and a king and the Lord would tell each of us, start living that way, amen? Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord. I thank you for the warning of the scriptures. Thank you, Lord.
with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to invite anybody that's here today to come and come into the kingdom of the Lord. Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the one who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the last. He's going to wrap everything up, and he calls us to be right with him. Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he paid the punishment for our sins. He went to the end so that we could be saved. I'm not asking today if you've been, you know, baptized or or raised in a Christian home or anything. I, those are wonderful things, but I'm just asking you today, do you know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that your sins are forgiven and you're ready to meet the Lord? Do you know that? Jesus would say, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula, but I'm going to just create an opportunity to forgive your life to Jesus. If you're here and you need him, two things. First off, just raise up your hand just saying, I want to know today. I want to lift up my hand saying, Pastor Jim, today I want to give my heart to Jesus. I see your hand right there. Then I'm going to ask you to do a second thing. If you raise your hand, I'm going to ask you to come forward because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Is there anyone else that's going to raise their hand? Anyone else here today? Just give your heart to the Lord. Every week we have people giving their heart to Jesus Christ. I remember the day I did, and I'll never regret it. Let's all pray together for this gentleman who raised his hand. Let's say this prayer, Father in heaven, thank you for sending your son Jesus, who you loved, to die for my sins. He was perfect. And he took my punishment. I'm not perfect. And I receive his forgiveness. I come to you today, Jesus, as a sinner in need of a savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash me clean of everything that was unrighteous. From this day on, I declare, Jesus Christ, is my Lord and my Savior. I get off the throne of my heart. Jesus, sit on the throne of my heart. As you live in me, I will live for you. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. And thank you for promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sir, would you come forward here? Is this your third time here? Yep, I thought so. Not that I was counting. <laughs> First time I met you, I felt like the Lord wants to sing this. God's got a call, purpose, and a destiny. Tell me your name. Zach. Zach. Father, I thank you for the faithfulness of the Spirit of God that calls us, Lord, out of darkness and into light you didn't you didn't call this man lord to be a part of something that's dead but a living faith in jesus christ and i thank you lord for the faithfulness of the spirit of god thank you god for calling him you knew this day was coming when you made him before you made the world you knew that zach was coming to jesus christ on january 9th 2022 and father i just pray lord god that you would bless him that you would establish him establish him and establish his home i pray father god that his life would bring forth the fruit of the kingdom of god and of righteousness and i thank you lord god that as he as he has given his heart to you that you're gonna begin to work in him and you're going to begin working through him so father we receive him today as our brother in christ we receive him lord jesus into the family of God. And thank you for your faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, man. Yeah. Don't leave before we talk, okay? So, Father, I pray that your grace and your blessing would rest upon all those that are here today. Bless the roof over every person's home. Bless the singles, Lord, who are able to give all for you, Lord. 
bless the married father and strengthen the bonds. Strengthen every family. Restore children back. I pray health and healing, the provision of God, the angelic protection of the Lord, joy in every home, and the peace of God. I pray, Father, that they would be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And I thank you, Father. I pray that they would let their light so shine before men that they would see their good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Bless these people, Father. Let them leave with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. There's going to be people here. Our elders will be here in the front. If you need prayer today, please come forward. They just want to pray with you. For whatever miracle you need today, whatever wisdom or provision, come forward and let them pray for you. Thank you so much for coming. And God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.